Hi everyone, David here. Thank you so much for listening to What Matters. We hope you enjoy the show. Before we begin, if you and maybe some of your colleagues would like premium access to the What Matters podcast and want to read or listen to the essential in-depth journalism from Foresight Climate and Energy, make sure to subscribe. You can try us for 30 days for less than one euro a day, which will give you access to our website and app. Just follow the link in the show notes or go to www.foresightdk.com forward slash subscribe to find out more. Welcome to episode 19 of What Matters, the podcast from Foresight Climate and Energy. My name is David Weston, and with me once again are Michaela Hole from Agora Energy Vendor and Jan Rosenau of the Regulatory Assistance Project. Hi team, how are you this week? Hello, um, uh, still overwhelmed by the uh, tsunami of news coming out of, of energy once again. That's almost uh, the same opening every single podcast, it seems, these days. But um, uh, yeah, uh, living in the UK, we had a whole package of measures announced just yesterday. And, and then also in, in, in Brussels, we have important meetings happening this very moment about the future of the energy market in Europe. So um, pretty exhausted, uh, even though I had a very nice holiday. Um, but yeah, get, getting used to it. It's going to be like that for a while, I think. For me, it was pretty similar. It was never be, it was never this hard over the summer to decide not to read tweets or energy news, because at some point I felt, you know, I cannot I cannot allow myself two weeks. You're off completely. You know, you missed the train. Um, but a good summer, anyhow. Well, th- uh, welcome back to uh, uh, the podcast, and hopefully uh, we'll have some really in com- interesting conversations uh, in the next few uh, weeks and months uh, as we get towards the end of 2022. As the energy transition accelerates, the need for qualified engineers and technicians to install the required infrastructure so we can all benefit from the new technologies will become ever more critical. But there is a looming skills gap which threatens the pathway to a decarbonized economy. Our guest this week is Julie Beaufils from European On, the Electrical Contractors Association, to discuss the issues facing the sector and what needs to be done to avoid delaying the energy transition. Thanks for joining us, Julie. Hi, Dave. Hi, Michaela and Jan. Nice to meet you. Uh, and you. Thanks for joining us today. All of our decarbonisation scenarios foresee a trend of electrification for end users and uh, increased electrification. Do we have enough electrical contractors at the moment to fill this demand? Wow, you're going right uh, in the topic. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, the, the very short answer is no. Uh, we currently already uh, lack people. Um, for example, uh, our our uh, members in Germany, so the, the German Association of Electrical Contractors, uh, estimated very recently that they are already uh, reporting vacancies for, uh, and I mean, not finding people for 80,000 uh, jobs uh, in Germany. And that's just as of now. But uh, as everybody's aware here, we have uh, new targets uh, uh, increasing targets all the time for install- the, the installation of new technologies, etc. So this gap is set to worsen if we do nothing. So that's not just 80,000 people in Germany, that's way more in the years to come. And this trend is also a concern in all other European countries. So across Europe, there must be hundreds of thousands of vacancies just for this particular segment 
of of the market. I mean, if if you then think about, I don't know, the installers of solar panels or um, plumbers who can put in heat pumps, um, or, you know, or people who can insulate buildings, uh, you know, there there are vacancies all across the supply chain. But what you're saying, Julie, is that just in your sector of electric contractors, we are even just in that relatively small part of the overall workforce, you have these really significant vacancies. That's that's concerning, I would say. Would you agree? Yeah, that, that's extremely concerning. Maybe I think it would be okay, if, uh, it would be useful if you allow me to explain just a bit what electrical contractors are, maybe the scope. It's not always super clear. It wasn't for me when I started to work here a few years ago. Um, so electrical contractors uh, uh, represent a sector of people who manage electrical installations. They install uh, and uh, monitor and maintain, etc. everything which is related to electrical installations. So that can be in a, in a house, it can be in a, a big uh, non-residential building, it's also infrastructures, uh, and it also goes as far as uh, mobility because uh, electrical contractors are responsible for installing charging points for uh, electric vehicles. And they also do the electric connection, electrical connection of uh, PV panels, and they install them. So that's you know that's a bit of all of that. They also manage uh, smart meters, uh, they install backs, etc. So everything which covers electrical installation uh, falls under our, our scope. And when we say electrical contractors, it can be you know the 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 mayor installer, if I can say so. It can be an electrical engineer, and it's also uh, the the CEOs of electrical contracting companies. So that's a bit, that's the range, if I can say so. Uh, and so, yes, we report uh, vacancies. We are actually quite a big sector. It's almost 2 million professionals across Europe, 300,000 companies. Um, but it's true that many of our issues uh, are uh, shared with the rest of the construction uh, value chain, for example, uh, the mobility value chain in general. Could I ask a follow-up question? I'm, I guess I'm curious. Um, I have two questions. One is, uh, why is there such a big gap? Um, I, I suspect it's for similar reasons as in other sectors, but it would be interesting to understand why you think in the electrical contractors segment of the job market, there's such a big gap in particular. And then also, how long does it take to train people up? Um, like, do we talk about... Uh, a few months, uh, years, um, and and um, uh, you know, how can how can we how can we change the current situation where we have shortages of contractors? Okay, so you want to solve well to to mention all the the big topics in in one question. Okay, I, I'm trying to do my best there. Um, so why do we have a gap? Uh, that's the first question. I think that's the the first question that we indeed need to address. Uh, we have such a gap for well a variety of uh, reasons, of course. Um, one thing that I would mention first, and that's really what we are uh, trying to work on as much as possible here at Europe On, um, it's uh, the poor image of technical education and careers, because that's what we are talking about. We are talking about skilled people, but uh, who didn't go to university. Uh, sometimes they go to engineering schools, etc. But that's the the the, the most uh, common. Uh, education is uh, to go through an apprenticeship uh, and well, what we see is that usually all across Europe technical education is seen as 
a bad option, a last resort option. I remember uh, being a student in France where, when I was, I don't know, 14 years old. Uh, you know, our teachers would threaten us to go to technical education if we didn't have good grades. So that's how you go into that kind of careers, uh, basically. So that's so that's the first problem. That's the you know the lack of positive image of technical education and careers. So there's a lack of attractiveness. A second issue, I would say, is that in our sector, and I think, again, that's, uh, that's also true in the construction sector overall, they are mostly uh, small and medium uh, enterprises. In our sector, we even have many, many micro companies or self-employed people. So it's very difficult to hire or to think about upskilling because you, well, for example, you don't have HR. You know, when you have a company of three, four employees, there's no HR, so there's no there's no strategy on how to hire, uh, recruit, or upskill people. So that's that's also a, a really uh, difficult uh, uh, situation. Um, and another aspect is also that uh, the the workforce in our sector is aging. So we have lots of people leaving uh, the sector, and not so many joining. I must, you know, just maybe offset this, this last remark because we've seen some remarkable uh, efforts made by our our members. So they are all national associations of electrical uh, contractors. Um, they tell us that uh, in many countries that the the, the rate of apprentices enrollment is uh, improving. Uh, in the in the past few years, but that's just not going fast enough compared to the needs of the energy transition. Then you asked me a second question, uh, but now I can't remember what it was. Sorry. I think it's how long it takes. How long it takes? Yeah, sorry. Can you take someone, switch them on and off, and ready? No, probably not. How long does it take to retrain? Uh, so maybe, well, first, maybe not to retrain directly. I mean, the, the most, uh, you know, natural uh, pathway would be to 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 start uh, in this in this sector first, you know, not retrain from uh, from another sector. So in that case, again, varying uh, uh, depending on countries, but uh, usually you would start around the age of 16 and you would go in an apprenticeship for around three to four years. So that's that's the the, uh, the average, and then of course uh, some people decide to go on uh, upskilling uh, trainings from there to specialize in uh, in different sectors. But that's that's the overall. So it's not super short, and uh, I hear increasingly here in Brussels, uh, you know, there's this appeal for short trainings. Oh, we should we should have short trainings for people to quickly. Uh, deliver on 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 the energy and green uh, uh, on the digital and green transition. Sorry, um, what we see is that it's 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 mostly a, a you know a wish a wishful thinking, uh, but it's it's quite difficult because we are talking about people who are handling electricity. It's it's a, it's a highly uh, hazardous uh, sector, so you have to you have to be really well well trained. Um, and so, you know, yeah, there's no there's no such thing as a, a short training. Sometimes, when you already have some technical background, ob obviously, uh, retraining can take a few months. But usually, it's it's really uh, a long process because we want safe uh, workers and safe installations. So, I just read a tweet the other day where someone said, "I consider training as electrician 
because the waiting time for my PV plant is so long. So I guess maybe he would still be better off waiting for the PV plant. It would probably not take three years, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I can imagine this. Uh, yeah, this kind of uh, comment. Indeed, uh, it's it's taking a lot of time. And what we see is that well, first there's a shortage in skills. There's a shortage in workers as well because it's not just about the skills. It's not just about upskilling a few people. We actually need a, a wider workforce uh, to to implement the change. But what we also see is a shortage of uh, supplies. So at the moment, my members are telling me, you know, it's usually it's good. It's good to communicate on skills and worker shortages because it's it's a big reality. And that's a topic that we've been and, you know, relentlessly uh, discussing in the past few years. But we also have to keep in mind that there's a, a, a shortage in supplies uh, at the moment. And I would maybe also think that maybe the wages are not as attractive as they could be. You talked already about this reputational issue. But because I always remember that when people worked in a fossil industry, you know, like every they had quite competitive salaries at all levels. So maybe that's not exactly the same. I would say they maybe fall more into a more of a service category. So maybe we should just offer higher pay. I'm waiting for updated figures on the topic, but I wouldn't have said I wouldn't have such a. No, uh, a dark image on uh, on wages first because well the, the first thing to to keep in mind is that uh, workers in our sector earn as they learn so from the the moment you 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 start an apprenticeship you start to earn some money obviously it's not a it's not a full uh, wage but it's it's extremely different from the situation of someone going to university uh, who has to pay and who's not earning anything um, and then uh, and then you start working uh, quite early uh, you have the possibility to become your own uh, boss because we have lots of entrepreneurs it's really a, a very entrepreneurial um, sector um, and uh, when it comes to you know being being an, an employee uh, you have to keep in mind that every year we have uh, collective agreements and renegotiations on wages, and what we see obviously is that since uh, the, the workers in our sector are in, are in high demand, uh, the negotiation is definitely, uh, you know, more favourable to employees than employers. There was a, a, a new IEA report out this week that says uh, clean energy does provide more employment than the fossil fuel industry, um, but it, the report also noted that wages across the whole uh, clean energy uh, sector. Um, the wages in that sector were behind that fuel, fossil fuel industry. So this is obviously a, an average. Uh, if you're saying in the, perhaps in the contractors um, sector, it's not so bad, and that's great to hear. Um, do you think wages and um, the, the level of training perhaps is attractive to younger generations? Are you saying that if there's a shift in attitudes towards um, apprenticeships, then we could see younger generations being involved uh, getting themselves involved in this sector a lot more, uh, where um, sort of millennials and the Generation Z are also more keen about the sort of the moral function of their job as well. I think we have lots of very good arguments in the sector because, as you said, uh, more and more young people want to be involved uh, in you know climate action, uh, mitigating uh, climate change. Uh, people want to. Uh, 
move. They want their, each day to be uh, you know, different from the, the previous one, not necessarily work uh, in an office in front of a computer. Um, there's also this entrepreneurial uh, sense that I was, I was mentioning just before. Um, there's also you know, the, the need to have a long-term perspective and obviously working in fossil fuels versus uh, working in the, in the clean energy sector. Well, it's easier to make your know, prospects uh, in uh, to have perspective in in the in the latter than the, the former. So I think we have lots of good arguments, but at the moment it's just not kicking in. So you know I think that there's a need for uh, more push in that direction. And and there's a, an example that I really like. You know we all have this uh, we all have this image of. Uh, someone you know who who went to university or maybe even a, a business school. They went, they worked in finance or consulting or whatever. And one day, poof, they they have a burnout and they want to do something concrete with their life and they want to or, or they want to change something in the world. And they never become an electrician. They become a flowerist. They become a baker, yoga teacher. <laughs> yeah, a yoga teacher. Yeah, true. Yeah, I was thinking about something you know more concrete because yeah. people say I want something concrete to do, but well, then become an electrician. But somehow, or, or a plumber. I mean, even, but somehow, you know, it's it's still not here. And uh, and uh, well, you can hear that I'm, I'm a bit frustrated. And obviously, we need bakers and we need flowerists, but we also need people who implement the energy uh, transition, and that's definitely. Uh, in our sector that you should have a look. Yeah, it's it's quite um, startling when you look at how many people in the fossil fuel industry consider quitting their job. I mean, there are lots of different surveys out there. And I just found one saying that 80% of people employed in the oil industry are now considering um, to switch job. And many of them think about you know the other uh, part of the energy sector, clean energy, renewables, etc. Um, so maybe, maybe we need to uh, do a better job in 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 making the case that electrical contracting is is a is is a business that will have you know, a lot of work to do going forward, and and perhaps that's not on, on people's radar yet, and they might look at other other more visible um, parts of the clean energy sector. I I, I don't know. Is that is that an issue that? Your people feel more drawn to, let's say, um, solar panel uh, companies um, or heat pump installers um, because electric contractors seems to be, um, yeah, it sort of it, it doesn't come to mind straight away when you think about people employed in the clean energy sector, right? You think about technologies more than you think about electric contractors. Yes, but yeah, again, you know, being a PV installer or heat pump installer, in the end, it can fall into the same scope because you you will need electrical skills. Well, uh, in the heating industry, obviously, you still need a, a lot of uh, HVAC, uh, HVAC, sorry, uh, skills. So that's that's also a, a, a bit of a different scope. But this all goes together, and all of our uh, members uh, are involved in uh, in. Uh, in uh, solar uh, panels installation, for example, because well, there's you know there are different types of activities that you need to do from a technical perspective. There's you know the mere installation of PV panels on the rooftop, for example, but then there's the whole electrical connection. Uh, and again, you know, coming back to short training versus long training, uh, there are lots of discussions on that, like how can we uh, deploy faster uh, solar energy? Well, it's not 
very long to train someone to install PV, but that's way longer to have this electrical, those electrical skills. Uh, and obviously, if you just have panels on top of, of your roof, but then connected to nothing, it, it won't lead to, to much uh, decarbonization. So that's, uh, so that's all uh, very much rooted together. And uh, electrical contractors are involved in the new technologies that you, you just mentioned. We just had solar panels installed before the summer break, and the the electric contractor who was on site um, was here for at least two full days, I think, because he then had to move. We have an EV charger. There's a heat pump. Uh, now the solar panel, like you're putting all of that together in in a relatively small cupboard with a switchboard, uh, takes a huge skill, and and it's not something you can you can. Uh, you just do yourself, uh, of course, and and is, is as you said, is potentially quite dangerous if you attempt to do any of that yourself. But I was I was hugely impressed. By, well, I, I'm, um, I'm glad to hear involved. that you you have the full package. Then the the heat pump, the EV, the PVs, and yes, again, uh, electrical contractors are really at the core of all of those technologies. They they integrate them together, and actually. Uh, some of my members are moving away from calling themselves installers, and now they are, you know, they're, they're keeping the I, but it's no longer installers; it's integrators to really show how we are, you know, at 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 the core of all of those technologies. And again, th this should be, I hope, uh, an exciting prospect. Uh, but there's there's still uh, there's still uh, some awareness uh, to raise on here. On, on this. Absolutely, I mean that that yeah, the people who did it um, when I chatted to them, I think we were speaking for an hour about renewables, batteries, flexibility, the electricity system. Yeah, they clearly knew a lot more than just where do, do these cables go and where do we plug that in. They had a pretty good understanding of how all this fits together. Um, and um, I was quite impressed by them, actually. That Maybe that's the way to go because you say there's a shortage. So, you know, maybe when once they come to a house, and it, then it shouldn't maybe just be to put a charger into the garage, but maybe, you know, they could do the whole package or prepare the next steps already, you know. There I was thinking of my own experience because, yeah, we will have someone to come for the garage to install a charging station and the metering station next to it. And I thought, hmm, well, they're already there. Maybe they can already go on the roof and then check if there's a place for a heat pump or something, you know, um, that they do the whole that's thing. Definitely, that's definitely the kind of service slash consulting skills that we are also, uh, you know, discussing internally. So that also uh, implies working on yeah on soft skills. Uh, so another type of skills that we that we have to to work on. But yes, indeed. But again, you know, uh, even even if we if we upskill electrical contractors so they have that kind of uh, expertise and they can they can provide the the, the whole installation. Uh, I want to emphasize that. We need upskilling, we need reskilling, but we also need fresh blood. So we need to attract way more people into the sector. And, you know, coming back to this European perspective, what we see is that everywhere we report the same uh, problem of gaps. Um, so that's, and we're not the only sector to say that as well. So that's not just a business problem that's not just the the problem of our sector i think that overall the issue is you know it's it's a systemic issue it's it's uh, linked to the way that we look at technical education apprenticeships uh, vocational uh, trainings and we lack a european or 
national plans, national strategies to to make the the change happen. Because um, I just wanted to, I, I came with a few figures uh, for this for this uh, discussion, and I, I found those figures that we that we uh, put forward a few years ago, saying that to achieve uh, the climate targets uh, for uh, 2030, we would need the installation daily of 3,000 solar panels, 1,000 EV charging points, 15,000 heat pumps. That's massive. And we're not able to do that. And even more importantly, those uh, figures are already obsolete because we did that before um, the, Fit for the, the Fit for 55 package was released, before the Russian crisis uh, urged us to challenge our uh, energy transition. Um, so, so we we are absolutely not there. We need a massive uh, awareness raising on 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 the jobs that are needed, and I think the IEA report couldn't come at a better time. Obviously, they didn't plan it for now because it takes a, a, a long uh, a lot of time to to prepare such data. But I think it's really great that they are putting under our nose the topic of who will do the job, who will concretely implement the the targets that we are. Uh, adopting at the moment uh, next week in Strasbourg, etc. So that's uh, that's really, I think, uh, a blind spot in uh, in the Green Deal strategy. Everybody's talking about jobs and skills more or less, but that's always, you know, part of the narrative. Uh, and then there's no concrete action and will uh, to to implement. So if if uh, you know, Franz Timmermans or um, Ursula von der Leyen calls you. Uh, tonight, and uh, you know, they ask you, uh, what should the Commission do to help um, solve this? You know, what can Europe do to address this quite serious bottleneck that you described, Julie, of not enough people to actually install the technologies that we all know we need to deploy in order to meet all those targets and address the energy crisis? What would you tell them? I mean, is there something the Commission can do, um, or maybe national governments can do? to unlock this? Well, yeah, I think that's uh, if, that's a, a huge if, if uh, Mrs. van der Leyen or, or Mr. Timmermans called, I think they would, they, they wouldn't tell me that because they are aware of, uh, you know, the, the big uh, difficulty that we have on, on, on labor and skills uh, policies, which are that they are not a European competence. It's, it's not even a shared competence. It's a supporting competence that the EU has uh, so they can support member states in the in, in, in those policies and that's the difficulty that we have and we we're not challenging it because our members are very uh, proud of the trainings uh, and the education policies they they have uh, nationally uh, so they don't they, they don't want uh, a sort of european harmonization and i don't think that member states would want that either um, but we believe that what the EU can do is force, in some ways, force member states to make of skills and worker shortages for the energy transition a priority. It's not the case at the moment. Um, what we see is also that this topic is always addressed in silos. So you have you have the DG Ample, uh, which is uh, working a bit on that, but you know how, how does it fit into the, the European Green Deal? Uh, we don't we don't we don't see much. 
but but eventually they will have to question the way they address skills and uh, education policies because when you are the guardian of uh, the European Green Deal, you have to check each segment of and you know each uh, yeah each segments each links uh, of the of of the strategy that you are putting forward. So uh, sorry, I, I thought it was important to bring a bit of this uh, context, but in a nutshell. I would say that at the same time, the Commission cannot do much or can really start to have a political will on this agenda and say, well, we need to do something uh, so that the energy transition uh, can be implemented at national level. And there are a few things that we've been uh, pushing for in this Fit for 55 package. That's, you know, that's the only occasion. And I mean, that's the best occasion we have uh, for that. So what we've asked uh, to, and respective of the, of the, of the limits uh, and the scope of, of what the, the EU can do is that we are asking in different directives. So that can, that can be the um, renewable energy directive, the energy efficiency directive, the energy performance of buildings directive, EPBD. Uh, we are asking uh, for the Commission, uh, I mean, for the the European Union to call on member states and require uh, from member states that they do a regular assessment of the gap between available and needed professionals for the energy transition. So let's say that every two, three years, they have to put forward a report showing how many workers we have, how many workers we would need to achieve our uh, targets, for example, the targets which are uh, defined in the uh, national uh, energy and climate plans. And we believe that obviously it's just a report, you know, it's an author report, but we believe that it, if member states have the obligation to really look into that, they will realize the massive gap that we believe there is between achieving uh, climate and energy objectives and not achieving it. And we hope that this will confront them with this reality and put forward uh, plans and strategies at national level. So that's that's the key aspect. We actually uh, received a lot of support from uh, members of the European Parliament. And I do hope that this will be uh, adopted in uh, the, the, the votes that will take place next week in Strasbourg on the Renewable Energy Directive and the Energy Efficiency Directive. Of course, the next step is to convince the Council uh, to work on that. But that's, that's the, the key ask that we have. And I think it's, again, reflective and it's yeah, reflective of the IEA report that you were mentioning, because they also say that the first step is precisely assessing the needs and then we can build something uh, from that. And, you know, it's, it, now that I'm working more and more uh, on this topic uh, within Europe on, it really drives me a bit mad to think about the potential of green jobs that we can create and the tremendous number of young people that we can attract in those sectors. Uh, not everybody is bound to go to university uh, and it shouldn't be seen as a punishment. It shouldn't be you know, a, a negative thing uh, to go in tec into technical education. And I think that national uh, governments should really take this topic and say, well, we built a strategy for green jobs. We, want, we can create that many jobs uh, and together you, we will 
uh, thanks to you, we will be able to achieve our climate targets. We will be able to build a sustainable future. That should be, you know, obvious, but nobody really wants to talk about technical education. That was a bit long. Sorry. <laughs> Hi, everyone. David here again. Just a reminder that you and your colleagues can get premium access to the What Matters podcast and all of the in-depth journalism from Foresight Climate and Energy by subscribing. You can give us a try for 30 days for just €29, Euros, where you can access our website and audio app. Go to www.foresightdk.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes. Now, back to our conversation. No, not at all. Not at all. So uh, let me hark back to uh, Jan's question there. If then perhaps Olaf Scholz or Macron or even Liz Truss or someone like that came to you and said, what can we do to uh, improve technical education and improve the number of electrician, uh, training trainee electricians? What do you want to see happen? And do you see any, any appetite for that amongst national governments? I think there's some... Appetite. We start to see some interesting things. So again, I, I'm 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 happy to you know suggest a few things. But I think also that it will be, it will depend from one country to the next because the the problems, the general problems are the same, the same. But then you know how do you address it? It's it's diff different structures. We see some interesting things. Uh, for example, uh, just a few days ago in Sweden, uh, the government gave uh, the National Energy Agency the task of coordinating a sort of national effort to find skills for electrification. So here we really see this link between, you know, the energy agency working on energy matters and the skills issue. Uh, so we, we see something happening here. And uh, I know that our Swedish members are very happy uh, with this development uh, because it's taken uh, at very high level and very seriously. Um, We've seen also an interesting bill that was passed recently in the UK uh, saying that uh, regularly, so I'm, I'm not sure if it's every every year or or a bit less than uh, a bit less than that, but regularly from now on, uh, every student in uh, in in uh, in uh, pre uh, primary school and and in the in the uh, following levels uh, will have to be. Um, presented with you know technical education and technical careers uh, they they have to raise awareness on on those uh, options and you know it seems it seems like very symbolic but i think it can change many things uh, so that's that's another interesting uh, aspect and then obviously there are, there are many uh, many uh, good ways uh, to work uh, on, uh, on on this agenda for example um, there's you know the need to invest more in training centers and uh, and and schools, uh, vocational uh, schools, because there's a lack of uh, teachers, there's a lack of facilities, there's a lack of you know updated uh, yeah equipment. So that's that's the first thing. Another aspect is uh, to provide equivalence between university and technical education. So, for example, uh, you know, uh, rating them the same way uh, into into uh, into. Uh, education uh, rankings, or also uh, enabling someone who's been in technical education to go to university and vice versa. That's that's something which already exists in some countries, and in others it's not the case. And we feel that maybe students would feel more confident if they know that they can change ways, uh, pathways e easily. 
Um, and another thing that uh, I found quite interesting during the, the beginning of the COVID crisis was that uh, in Denmark, they decided uh, that the government decided to uh, increase their support to companies to hire apprentices, even though you know lots of uh, uh, businesses were shut or people had to reorganize. And they, they increased the support and it actually led to a, a higher enrollment of apprentices. So... You know, that's a few ideas, and of course, there's no, there's no uh, uh, silver bullet. I think uh, so. It's it, you have to look at uh, different uh, different options. But overall, again, I'm I'm really convinced that having national strategies on the jobs needed for the energy transition, with a look at technical education in particular, uh, would be the the best way to move Julia forward. Julia had another. Um, one of the things that dropped over the summer and interrupted the summer break was this um, Inflation Reduction Act in the US, right? Um, I had a look at it and um, I, I spotted something that I'd never seen before. So they work with the tax credits and then you had a more interesting or more, more preferential tax rate if you fulfilled certain conditions around apprenticeship and education, And I'd never seen this before. I mean, you know, you saw in the press these things like the e the electric car has to be assembled in the US, whether you immediately cried, oh, WTO, help, this is not good. But these provisions on basically obligating the clean energy companies to somehow invest in, in, in education. I thought it was actually quite interesting. I'd never seen it. I don't know if you've looked and if you know a bit more about it, but it struck me as a rather elegant way of uh, bringing the topic um, in. No, I've know? not heard about that. And I, I think it's in, indeed interesting. Uh, we, we are in contact with the uh, American Association of Electrical Contractors, NICA, and they have similar problems with us, but the education structure is completely different. So we, you know, we try to learn a bit from each other, but there's there's a there's a barrier to uh, you know translating uh, the the needs and the and the the situations um what uh, i've seen uh, for example i think it goes a bit in the same direction as as what you're suggesting and i think it was in germany but i'm not 100% sure is that in some uh, tenders uh if you want to if you want to uh to uh, um submit an application uh, in some tenders, for example, uh, you know, construct constructing uh, a big uh, non-residential uh, building for offices or a mall or whatever, uh, then uh, you would have to prove that you, uh, that you have certain uh, trainings uh, with new technologies or that you are uh, accredited uh, on the certain uh, types of, uh, of uh, lists so that's also a way to make to to you know provide additional uh, motivation to 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 have the, the latest uh, available technologies uh, expertise is that another barrier though is the the rate that the technology is advancing and specifically with the um, rise of digitalization uh, particularly in the sector and the different interfaces between all the different technologies is that perhaps a barrier for many people uh, to enter the the sector Yes, and, and and not just to enter, but to you know to provide the the latest uh, services. Like you 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 can uh, you can work. You, you may, maybe you've worked in the sector for thirty years, but now you you cannot uh, offer uh, services which are linked to uh, digitalization. You know, for example, uh, 
doing a, you know some energy management uh, providing energy management services uh, based on reading a smart meter uh, that kind of things uh, because you you're not you're not uh, skilled for that so that's definitely a barrier what we see is that covid had actually a uh, good uh impact on this because everybody was forced uh to uh improve their digitalization their, their digital skills uh at a at a fast pace and that's really something that we see um and uh, another aspect that i find interesting is that with our members we also try to work on the efficiency well not the energy efficiency for once but you know just the efficiency of workers how can we work more effectively so that we can do more work in limited time uh, and that's particularly relevant when you are on a work site because you have to coordinate with all sorts of trades and lots of things are still happening in person or are still done with paper so really jumping uh, doing this leap into digitalization can really help to go faster and obviously that won't solve the the workers shortages issue but if we can work more effectively we lose less time in non uh, essential uh, tasks and we can focus on the on the most important things is there a role for sort of larger companies i'm thinking maybe the siemenses and the eons and the people that uh, uh kind of bringing out this new technology. Is there a role for these companies to help upskill and retrain and um, train, just train the workforce in general with these new technologies? Yes, definitely. Uh, I know that many uh, big uh, uh, electrical companies and, and manufacturers have their own uh, trainings. They have, you know, they have lots of programs. Uh, I, think, I think it's definitely part of uh, the, the answer. Uh, but we more than you know projects here and there we also need uh real strong strategies uh to move forward and what about the um sort of maybe the the gender disparity in the sector i presume still many electrical contractors are it's fairly a, a male dominated sector um particularly is there any efforts or any um action towards sort of introducing people from other genders in into the sector it's a particularly severe issue in the in the installation sector well in the construction sector as a whole uh but in the in the installation sector in particular uh i don't have uh average european uh, figures on, on on that but i think that we we're not really above 10 percent of women uh in our trade um and even in you know what we consider more progressive countries such as Scandinavia, I was I was a bit shocked uh, to see that uh, there are not so many uh, women. However, it's definitely uh, it's it's definitely a, um, a discussion that we're having with all of our members. I don't know where it started, but I think that th- this need to be more to attract more women actually also came from the the this. Uh, workers shortages issue that we discussed because when when you complain that you don't have many workers and half of the population is uh, female uh, maybe it's time to 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 open up uh, to to women uh, so that's definitely that's definitely a topic which is uh, discussed a lot there are lots of actions uh, starting or which have started in the past few years. For example, uh, I'm, I'm really interested in a campaign which uh, was launched last year by our uh, Finnish members, 
along with uh, other uh, associations in Finland, uh, where they are trying to raise awareness on the sector overall, but uh, with a specific target uh, for uh, to, to attract women. And their objective would be to receive as many applications from men as from women by 2030, which is really extremely uh, ambitious, even uh, even for uh, northern countries. Um, so there, there are uh, there are lots of discussions. There are lots of reports and actions which are undertaken. Uh, it's a very complicated topic because it's true that we see technical careers in general and installation in particular as uh, male, uh, mostly male. And I would say that the difficulty is that you have to fight on so many fronts at the same time because you need to challenge the preconceptions not only of students from an early age because we see that uh, that kind of decision going into university versus uh, technical education it's it's actually something which starts from a very early age so you have to target students but you also have to target parents teachers even not non-technical teachers i mean just teachers in uh, you know in primary school etc uh b- before they tell you that you should uh, not go to technical education because you have uh, bad grades etc and then you also have to uh, challenge the views of colleagues in the technical sector and recruiters what we see is also that sometimes recruiters uh, you know don't treat uh, the same way uh, female versus male applications. So it's you know there are so many directions where we need to to change uh, preconceptions. That's very complicated. It's a very slow pro- process, but we are seeing every year a, a bit of progress. But yeah, it's it, it's really taking a lot of time. I will say one last thing. Uh, one last thing uh, on, on this, I find it really telling. Um, again many things are decided from a very early age, even though it's non-intentional, it's not, uh, you know, conscious. And I was reading this study done by our our Swedish colleagues where they say that when a a young girl is playing with uh, uh, Lego, for example, uh, you know, because it's a girl, uh, she will be considered as creative. And if she was a boy, she would be considered as manual. And, you know, that's just how it starts, you know, because then from there she will be directed towards creative, artistic uh, careers versus manual and technical uh, careers. I would like to ask you a question about the current energy crisis, if I may, Julie. We, we touched on this already a little bit in the discussion, but um, you, your sector must have been impacted by this uh, massively, as, as every other sector has. Um, could you explain sort of how in your industry the energy price uh, crisis is is playing out like what's what's been the impact of that it has many effects and many diverging effects i would say first just being a business obviously uh, we are hardly hit by the inflation um, and we have lots of very small companies so that's particularly hard on them so that's you know just just by being a company, and obviously you, you need uh, energy to to work, etc. So that's that's playing a role. And I was talking with some of my members recently, who told me that uh, their businesses, some of them were returning as much as possible to uh, working from home uh, to save uh, some energy costs. So that's you know that's the first thing as any uh, business can expect. Um, 
And you know, even before the the energy uh, prices uh, crisis, we already suffered from the supply shortages uh, because everything is delayed, postponed, etc. And then there's this mixed effect of the crisis on our business because, on the one hand, it's actually uh, reinforcing our role because we are the ones who can deploy uh, electrification, uh, clean energy. Uh, we have lots of services to provide in the field of energy efficiency, so that's even more necessary than before. Uh, we have some members who provided recommendations to the national governments on, you know, short-term short-term actions to take. For example, you know, installing heat pumps, um, that kind of things. So that's you know that's the well, I wouldn't say positive, but the 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 aspect which really yeah strengthened our position and our role in the sector um and on the other hand we don't really know where the energy transition is going because at the moment we are talking a lot about quick fixes um superseding russian gas uh with other uh gas supplies so are you know are we putting a halt on the energy transition or not that's uh, that's uh, also a big question and and with the inflation, lots of clients are also postponing or cancelling uh, orders. So it's very difficult to, to have a clear view on where the, the sector is going at the moment. I just have one last question. Do you see an impact coming if they if the demand is there, is created? So you mentioned the number of sort of solar panels that need to be installed and the number of heat pumps that need to be installed every day. If that demand is actually created and there are these people calling out for people to install their heat pumps, will that have an effect on the number of um, uh, electrical contracts that there are? Will that encourage more hiring and more people getting involved? Or So is it, is it, is it that or is it also just the training side of things that needs, needs to be addressed? No, I think it, it goes hand in hand because you, you, know, you, you can have this wheel of training people, but if there's no market... Uh, on the other side, then you know you just train people for, for no reason. Um, so what many of my member, something that many of my members say is that they need more predictability uh, because I don't know if you remember that. Well, I was not in the sector at that time, so I don't. Uh, but back in uh, in the beginning of the of the twenty first century, there was a sort of hype for solar panels, and so lots of people trained. Um, and what we saw, for example, in Germany, because there, there was a lot of public support to install uh, solar panels. And then in 2011, I think, uh, public support stopped or was uh, reduced. And then there was a, a big uh, drop in, uh, in, uh, in the demand for, for that kind of installations. And we had lots of people who, lots of people who were trained for it and who didn't have anything to do uh, anymore. And actually, um, I think that back in those uh, times, uh, there were there was a higher level of installation than now in terms of solar panels, which means that we can do it. But obviously, you need a bit of predictability. You need to be sure that the market is going in this or that direction, so that then you can invest in uh, training uh, the right number of people. So it it goes hand in hand. Absolutely. Um, just as we come towards the end of our, our time together. Um, Julie, I'd be really interested if you could look into your crystal ball uh, and just look at what the energy uh, landscape looks like in 10 to 20 years' time. What are, what's your predictions for that? Um, huh. Okay, so 
Europe on is is part of a, of an alliance which is called the electrification alliance so we are uh, 10 associations in that in this group uh, well I, I, maybe I won't mention everybody but there are some very uh, no, well-known associations such as Eurelectric or Solar Power Europe Win Europe uh, Avere etc um, and with the electrification alliance we have this campaign which is called electrify now and we are looking at whether we electrify now or we electrify later, because we believe that it's coming anyway, but massive differences uh, will result from taking the right actions now or later. So for my crystal ball, I think that there are really two, two uh, different options. It's a, it's a, it's a, a strange ball, you know, there are two balls uh, actually. Uh, and so I think that if we we look at now and at the Russian crisis that we have, a big threat is to focus only on now. And I mean, I do understand that we need to have a safe winter, obviously. But if we start building all the infrastructure and rerouting all uh, gas uh, supplies uh, towards uh, Europe, then we won't uh, pay much attention to uh, the energy transition. but And we can play this game over and over again every winter because every winter there will be something uh, and uh, gas suppliers may not be the most reliable countries. So that's, you know, that's the, the pessimistic uh, crystal ball where we didn't electrify now, we waited. And there's the uh, optimistic crystal ball saying that we need to cater for this winter and next winter, obviously, but we also speed up on the energy transition. And by 10 or 20 years, we can really have a completely different situation where Europe is way more sovereign and sustainable. Absolutely. That's really, yeah, really interesting. I think having an optimistic and a pessimistic crystal ball, I think lots of people might have those uh, at the moment. Uh, finally, then, before we go, uh, I'd just like to go around the table uh, and ask what caught your eye this week uh, or in the last couple of weeks. I'm sure there's been plenty, but maybe if there's one thing that really stood out. Uh, Michaela, what caught your eye? Picking up a little bit on what Turi just said about where do we go, you know, which turn are we taking? Um, I saw someone tweeting in the aftermath of this new massive support package that the Germans adopted. When was it? A, ye- a week ago or something. Uh, and included also one of payments to pensioners of 300 euros one off. And then she calculated that you could use this money and offer 2 million heat pumps to households. I haven't done the math, Jan. Maybe you can do a quick, you know, the price is better. I was shocked. I, I still, before using it, I wanted to see again if it had, I trusted it up. So now we only need Julie's uh, people to install the 2 million. But no, basically all of this to say that I think it's really about time we start shifting from supporting the use of energy and uh, put the money into uh, measures that reduce them. Because otherwise, as Julie said, it's not this winter, it's the next and the, the one after and the one after. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Jan, what caught your eye? Um, well, I, I saw a piece in the Washington Post earlier this week about Poland and the efforts in Poland to move away from from gas after the invasion of Ukraine by Russia um, and what's what's happening on the ground in Poland. So I, I, I think it's a great read. It, it kind of uses personal stories 
uh, and explains people's motivations and, and why they want to move away from gas in their individual homes. So that that's my um, uh, recommendation for this this uh, week. Absolutely. And if they want to hear more, they should listen to our podcast on, on Poland and Eastern Europe uh, from a few months ago as well. Uh, Julie, what, uh, what caught your eye? Uh, so that's a, a very light uh, piece of news. Uh, but, um, well, I'm very fond of polar exploration, North Pole, South Pole. Um, and I'm working in the uh, electricity sector. So I don't know, I guess that uh, sponsored uh, posts are very well done because what I saw was a, a sort of ad uh, from uh, one uh, polar institute in Antarctica saying that they were recruiting electrical uh, installers because they need them in in, uh, in polar stations. And I just thought, well, that's, that's another inspiring uh, reason uh, to go into the uh, electrical uh, contracting sector because you can really make a di the difference in incredible uh, environment. So that's uh, that's something that I would uh, I would keep in uh, in mind. Absolutely, that sounds amazing. Um, finally, from me, then um, I saw uh, it was an image shared on LinkedIn by uh, Alessandro Blasi, uh, a special advisor at the IEA, uh, detailing the. Um, supply chain of solar panels and how dominated it is uh, within China, how the polysilicon, uh, the cells, the modules and the wafers, all of these, all of the supply chain are 75% based in China or more. Um, wafers are 96.8%, it says on, on this thing. It just it just goes to show how, how dependent we are on China in that sector and in many others um, and how much more other areas could do to hopefully try and build those sectors um, themselves in, in order to diversify slightly. I just thought it was really interesting. I didn't realize I knew China dominated, uh, maybe not quite to that extent. So really interesting image. And we'll make sure we link that uh, below in the show notes. That's what we This must be the first time you did not report wind news. It is. It's, I've gone for solar this week rather than wind. There's plenty <laughs> I could have done on wind, I'm sure, as well. Uh, and of course, I, we also could have discussed the, the energy package in the UK. And we mentioned Germany as well and uh, Europe. So lots going on uh, at the moment. Um, that is all we have time for today. My thanks to Julie, Michaela, Jan, and our producer, Anna. If you have any thoughts or questions about anything we said on today's podcast, you can reach us on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Dave W. Foresight. Uh, Jan? I'm on Jan Rosenau. Michaela? At CitizenSane1. And Julie? Uh, I'm at Europe on uh, underscore EU. Uh, if you have any questions for the team, you can also tweet the show at whatmatterspod or email us show at whatmatterspodcast.com. I'll also throw in a little plug for our new podcast, Policy Dispatch, with our policy editor, Sam Morgan. Uh, the first episode went uh, up last week, so do check that out as well and listen for more. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.